As I indicated, we will begin by hearing the assigned gospel for this first Sunday of Easter, uh, which as we will hear in John's gospel, uh, continues on the same morning of the resurrection. So this is from the 20th chapter of St. John. And while I'm reading it, I wanted just to sort of, I'm going to kind of uh, make commentary just a little bit uh, to things that jump out at me just while I'm reading it with you. And you might do the same. I think every single time uh, we, we spend some time with the scriptures, there may be something new that you know, occurs to us or something that might warrant some further consideration or study or questioning. So let's just walk our way through this uh, gospel. Uh, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Uh, so it's good for us to pause there. This language is sort of striking and a little bit troubling for fear of the Jews. I mean, uh, first of all, we might note that the disciples themselves were Jews. So, you know, so then we have to ask, well, which Jewish people are we talking about? And it is uh, obvious uh, in the text that it is the, the Jewish leadership, those for whom Jesus represented a threat to their own authority, okay? Uh, so good for us to kind of just make that note uh, as we hear this kind of stark language that gets a, a bit... Uh, kind of lost culturally uh, in, our, in our translation and has caused straight up trouble over, over the years. Some people have, I mean, just taken this out of context and uh, without good sort of biblical scholarship or consideration and, and, and used it uh, to kind of fuel an anti-Semitic uh, ideology. So, you know, we could obviously we could stop right there, spend the rest of the morning on that one little uh, topic, but it's worth noting as we speed by. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, and, and I like to pause right here when I'm reading it because I think, you know, all that has taken place, the, the resurrection of Christ, the tomb is empty, the, all the, 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 the denial uh, of Jesus and the, and the disciples all running away in fear, all of that stuff is just so fresh. It's just happened. And now the risen Lord is in their midst. What is it that he will say? What, what might we guess that he's about to say if we didn't know? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. I'm struck by that. Jesus has been raised from the dead. This miracle of life coming out of death, how is it that he couldn't have also had his wounds healed so that they're no longer visible? There's something identifying, something profoundly meaningful about the Christ's wounds still being visible even though he has defeated the death that those wounds represent. It's among the first things Jesus does is to show them his wounds. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he said, so remember that, 
uh, after the greetings, after the kind of forgiveness, not judgment. Hey, why didn't you guys stay with me when I needed you the most? Why didn't you, you know, none of that, just peace, twice, peace. Then Jesus gives marching orders to those of us who would be followers. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So let's hold a place for that. When Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, first of all, why, why was Thomas called the twin? That's odd, isn't it? Nobody calls me the twin. And why does so many people in the Bible have a name and then they're called something else? I honestly don't know the answers to these questions. I'm just saying they occur to me when I'm reading it. Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve. You might recall that I made note of the fact as I read the whole passion narrative during Palm Sunday that it always gets me when, as they are denying Jesus and, and running away in fear, uh, that, and, you know, and Judas is betraying Jesus, the gospel writer will refer to them as one of the twelve, as if to say his closest friends, his disciples even, are going to sell him out and reject and deny him. But here we have... Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them. And I, I, where was he? Where was Thomas? What was he doing? I mean, these disciples are locked away in a house because they're afraid that this machinery of crucifixion might just grab and grind them up as well. So they're locked away in fear. But what was Thomas doing? Where was he out there? What was he doing? I wonder. When Jesus came, Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. In addition to being just slightly gruesome, uh, here we have Thomas saying to his friends, his buddies, his fellow disciples, nah, I know you guys are telling me this and I don't buy it. Uh, when, if I see it for myself and I can feel his wounds. And remember, one of the first things Jesus did to the other disciples was show his wounds. And, and, and what about Thomas at this moment while he's flat out denying and doubting? What is his status? Is he in danger? Is he condemned? Is he, uh, is he outside of the, the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God? He's just Thomas, the one they called the twin. And he's not going to do anything to deserve what Jesus is about to give him. I think it's worth thinking about. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. So now we hearken back to the marching orders Jesus had just given them. As the Father sends me, so I send you. I'm pretty sure he didn't mean into this house with the drapes drawn and the doors locked. That's where we find him. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think it's worth noting, and then I'll stop because we'll never get through this. But I, you know, I read that and I say, what? <laughs> look at 
these guys are doing everything they can to keep themselves from Jesus and everybody else. They, they are in this house. They lock the doors. They shut the doors. And what is it about Jesus that he just won't leave well enough alone? He, he, you can't keep Jesus out. It isn't the disciples out there seeking to find the risen Lord and be in his presence and learn. And, and it's Jesus who keeps going and getting the, 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 his, his followers who fall short, who doubt, who, who don't follow the... The, the admonition to go as the Father sends me, I send you. They're all locked away and they're afraid and they don't know what to do. And Jesus comes and finds them. I think there should be comfort in this for each of us. I think there should be comfort for each of us. Uh, and then, G- and then, uh, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So, there is Easter continued uh, on this day. And um, I indicated some of the things that jump out at me when I read that gospel. And maybe you have something you'd like to ask related. But it might be completely unrelated. It might be not a question, but it might be a comment. Something about your experience of Easter. Uh, or just a question that you have. So... Be brave, and we'll have a we'll have a conversation. And Mike's got the Mike's mic. got a mic. Mike's got the mic. Thanks, Mike. Just a technical question uh, for those that don't know about Natalia's Uplift blog. Yesterday, um, you mentioned fifty days of Easter. So, what's the first day and that fiftieth day after that? Just technical. So, if you didn't hear that, we'll re- we'll repeat it. Just if people couldn't hear it well, but. Uh, I, wrote, I write a devotional every Friday, and uh, some people are on that mailing list. And uh, I wrote about there's 50 days of Easter. That's actually from Easter Sunday to Pentecost. That is the when Jesus uh, sends the Holy Spirit. So that's our 50 days. So we think of Easter as a single day. Yay, we did it. Woo, we're done. And then, but it's not. It's a, it's a full season in the church where we should try to retain that uh, Easter spirit for 50 days. It's not easy when it's snowing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we try to retain that, that spirit for the whole 50 days. Another question. Well, we're really making you go. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So not all churches celebrate Easter the same way. Orthodox churches are celebrating Easter today. Why, why do we celebrate Easter this, kind of the same way every year? And like, why do some churches celebrate Easter today? Why do some churches not really pay a big deal about Easter at all? Um, like, why is it done differently? Yeah, the 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 reason East the date of Easter moves around 
you can Google it. I can never keep it in my head. It's got to do with the, the solstice and the first and the Sunday. Moon. Yeah, and <laughs> the full moon and some other, you know. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's earthy. Yes. And it, so it shifts around. Um, yeah, and, and there are so many different expressions of, uh, of, of congregational life in, in the country and in the world that there are, there are those churches that, you know, identify either as a denomination. Oftentimes, most of the mainline denominational expressions of the Christian congregational reality um, follow some uh, liturgical calendar, and most of those line up for the major church festival holidays such as Easter and, and Christmas and, and the rest. Um, and so they, they kind of, part of the worship life of those churches uh, follows the rhythms of, of the liturgical calendar. Uh, and, you know, other churches would rather not be bound by any such thing and they kind of make up their own way as they go. Uh, and most of those um, more independent-minded um, worshiping communities also celebrate the big, you know, Easter's and Christmases. But there are some, um, even some, who take from an interpretation of certain passages within the scriptures not to recognize festivals and holidays and so forth. They they uh, do not condone the celebration of special festivals and so forth. Uh, uh, as part of their sort of um, understanding of the faith. So they, they intentionally ignore um, uh, Sundays such as Easter and, and so forth. And for, for those who do share that in common, that we, that we do celebrate Easter, for instance, um, there's a, obviously there is a great variety of ways that that is expressed in, in, in some cultural contexts, in some um, countries it's, it's profoundly physical. I mean, the whole Holy Week experience that it can involve kind of the mimicking of Jesus' crucifixion and, and other kind of gruesome um, expressions of, of um, trying to emulate or empathize with what Christ physically experienced through the process. Um, so it's a fascinating, you're right, it's a, fat, a fascinating mixture of... Um, of ways that that communities embrace uh, the, the 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 Easter message. Yeah, as, I don't know the answer to the Orthodox why they have it on a different day. I don't know that. I mean, when I when when I was in the Holy Land in January, they were selling or celebrating Orthodox Christmas. So it was really funny. We everybody had packed up their stuff here, and there were Christmas trees everywhere in in Bethlehem still in the middle of January. So it was just a different shift. They do it, it's intentional and there's a reason, I just don't know what that is. Um, and I think if you look at the way we plan a worship service and then compare and contrast that with a different denomination, you might notice our theology coming through really intentionally in what we choose to focus on and talk about. Where we will really intentionally not say, like, you are so bad, you are so evil, you are so sinful that Jesus died. Like, you don't hear us say that from up here because that's not core to our theology that, like, you should feel shame about what's happening. Shame is not 
and guilt is not sort of core to Lutheran theology. And so we really push against that by, by focusing on something else, right? So we really talk about the relationships or, or the love of God and why when we talk about our Good Friday services intentionally to have you sit in the feelings and the difficulty, but not in the shame, right? That's intentional. The way we make choices are theologically intentional. And if you compare our services to someone else's, they are making different theological choices. Um, and I'm, I love the way we do Holy Week here. I think it's really lovely. You got to run all the way in back again. Oh, and you got, you got one behind you too. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, when I was in confirmation ever so long ago, um, we were when we were studying um, about the names we should use in church, not take the uh, Lord's name in vain, and so on. We were taught never to say words like "gosh." oh my goodness, and stuff like that, because that was taking the Lord's name in vain. And we all know that we've gone from gosh to things that are much more similar to taking what I would think of as the Lord's name in vain. So do we change the interpretation of the commandment, or is just this just a social thing that has come about through the years? Oh my gosh, I love this question. This is a, such a good question. Uh, so to, to kind of narrow that down, the, the command of don't take the Lord's name in vain, how do we interpret that when we use words like, oh my goodness, oh my gosh. You know, people say good God all the time, and you're like, ooh. Um, I don't know. There's I don't. a whole bunch of them. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think God cares. I don't know. I mean, I think the the using God's name like that, I think the, the point is your intention. I think our language always changes. I think if you're using God's name to act out something in the world, God cares a way more about that than whether or not you're saying, oh my gosh, as a part of regular language. I just think... The point of not taking the Lord's name in vain was the intention of, are you using God's name to do evil in the world? Please don't do that. That's a command we should be following still. So you can't be like, God told me to do that. Uh, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's using God's name for your own self-interest as opposed to the self-interest of God in the world. I think that's what that commandment means. Yeah, uh I think part of the question is, have things coarsened over time when we were younger, weren't, weren't the, 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 the standards were a little bit maybe more restrictive, or, and, and even these sort of God-adjacent colloquial phrases that were developed in order to not say, oh my God, out loud, but to say, oh my gosh, or my grandma would say, gosh, all Friday. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's related or not, but Grandma Carmen had a few of them. Um, fun to think about. Uh, I don't. I don't really know. I, you know, I, I think of Jesus, my, my Lord, my God. Why have Thou forsaken me? I mean, when, when, and how are we are we summoning the the presence of God, or 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 asking for God to be 
you know, involved in what's going on with me. I mean, I don't know. I think there are times in our ecclesial history where we've been so afraid of saying something wrong that we we were putting barriers between ourselves and God in some sort of way. Now, there's, there's other, you know, uh, last week I had a couple of Jehovah Witnesses on my porch, and um, depending on the mood I'm in, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have oh, various no. approaches to engaging with these, um, these zealous young men, and they, you know, they, if you get into a conversation with them and lead them around a little bit off of their sort of state, their, their agenda, they, they will come to the fact that, they, they, that the name of God is in fact Jehovah and you shouldn't use any other name to which I, you know, gently try to help uh, lead them to understand that that is not at all the name of God. It's a made-up name. It's a hybrid that was derived from scribes and rabbis who thought the actual name of God was too holy to even write, to say nothing about pronouncing it. And so they've taken consonants from one word for God and vowels from another and put it together and came up with this word, you're running around banging on my door telling me I'm going to go to hell if I use any other name but the one you just gave me. And I'm telling you, that's not anywhere even in your Bible. Don't you feel so bad for these four guys? <laughs> yeah. They're just like, <laughs> they're just like. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's usually where it ends. But um. <laughs> The, so, but it's fun to think about that the names for God. And there's, a, I have a, a really cool cross. You're invited to take a field trip on your way to get a waffle. Go in my office. It's it's a heavy stainless steel cross that's made by an artisan. I was given it at my 10th anniversary of my ordination, which was <coughs> 20 some years ago. But um, uh, uh, anyway, it's it's all um, made out of names for God, carved out of names for God, and it's all welded together using uh, nails as the kind of skeleton, and it's in the shape of a cross. Go go look at it. And there's so many names of God uh, that for God that this cross is fashioned out of. And, uh, so anyway, you sent us down a fun alley there. Thank you for that. Why are there so many Mary Josephs and like Johns? So you know, when I was in when I was in high school and middle school, there were a lot of Christians. You know, just like a lot of Christians, or, um, or I mean, there were a few, but in my, like in my class, we had like Kristen P, Kristen M, Kristen C, and you would use their, or if you watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, which I don't condone, but like if there's more than one person, they always put a, like a, an M on it, you know, like Kristen M, Sam T, you know, they just do these things to distinguish 
what name it is. And that's the same way. It was just a very common name, and they didn't give us the last initial because they didn't do that, but that's how we distinguish now. So when we're talking about somebody and there's more than one name, we might say, like, Kristen M. said that. I was lucky I was the only Natalia shocker. But, um, but that's in, in the Bible, there were a lot of common names, just like there are. I bet in your class you have a bunch of one kind of name, right? Olivia is a pretty popular name right now. My daughter, there's three Layla's in her class. Uh, they're all spelled differently, so that's how you distinguish them. But it's just when there's a common name, it sometimes is confusing unless you put a distinguisher on it. So the Bible doesn't always do a good job of helping us distinguish which Mary they're talking about, except in the case of Mary, Mother of God, they will always be clear, and sometimes Mary Magdalene they will sometimes be clear, but it's just a very common name. So like think of it as Kristen M, Kristen T, or whatever name is popular right now. Same with the, the masculine names too. And, and in the disciples, when there's more than one, they'll say James, son of. So you know the difference between which James it is or which John it is, they'll often relate it to their family name instead of a last name or a last initial. So there is some, but the Bible's not always great at making that distinction for us. It's a good question. Hi. Morning. We read about the day of judgment, but I get confused because I believe the day we die, we are in heaven. So I don't really understand that. Yeah, thank you. That's a, it, a really a great question. And it's a great question. It's one that we str struggle with and, and um, you know, uh, it when when we we've had a lot of funerals here in this first quarter of the year, and as um, preachers and leaders, we we often find ourselves using language of you know promises kept for the one uh, who has died, uh, as if to say and believe that God has welcomed this person into God's eternal presence. And then there is also, both scripturally and in our sort of confessional faith tradition, this idea of the, the a judgment at the end of time. It's, it's, a, it's a theme that runs throughout scripture. Uh, um, you know, and, and so how do you reconcile these two things? And I, I think that for me and my sort of so the sweep of my of my faith, my understanding has has been to sort of let both of these things coexist. I, I part of the way in my own mind that I've made my peace with what would appear to be two opposing sort of realities. If in fact I believe that at the moment of my death I'm with God and God's got me and I I am so that my new reality is in the eternal presence of the God who thought it was a good idea to create me in the first place, then I can take comfort in that. Uh, but then there's this also this, what, what, what about the resurrection of the dead and, and all of that language that surrounds that throughout the scriptures and even the gospels. And for me, I, for me it's a matter of those of us this side of eternity being bound by 
uh, time and space in a way that God has never been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and we read in Genesis of, of, of God always existing, and, and, and so never not existing. So this idea that, you know, uh, we have to wrap this service up in an hour so that we can get to the waffles, and, you know, and one thing follows the next, and, and we are bound by the clock and time and progression and a linear uh, route through um, this pilgrimage on earth, all of that, all of that structure is gone on the other side. So for God, it's always the eternal now presence. So we speak of God um, behind us, God beside us, and God in front of us. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. All right? Uh, there's always this kind of Jesus with us, Jesus behind us, Jesus out in front of us, welcoming us into our own future. And there's deep theological terminology for all of this. But, but for me, uh, I, 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 I feel like, and I proclaim it at, at, at every funeral, that, yeah, you, we can rest secure in the promise that God has now um, embraced uh, our loved one into God's eternal presence. This was the promise made in baptism. This is the, this is the belief that we have. Uh, and the, yeah, sure, the judgment, if we want to talk about the judgment at the end of time, that judgment in Christ has already been proclaimed in the waters of baptism. It is, you're forgiven, you're chosen, you're a child of, of God. So... It's a you you it's a it's a it's a really a deep a deep question and um, and uh, I think it's you know, it it's it's not easy to sort of reconcile those two different things. And also in like two minutes, it's a big question to let, try to answer in just a few minutes from up here. But I I will add that that idea yes that like we. I understand that sometimes hearing like we can't understand the way of God is not a satisfying answer. I feel like that that is the answer and I also think it's really unsatisfying. So I will add to that piece of of once we once we are embraced by God after we die whatever that may look like time does not exist anymore who knows what that looks like none of us know. Um I also think to be aware of how a future judgment day is used uh, in this time and place. Uh, if it is used as a threat or a, a way to make you scared uh, about what is to come, then I don't think that's from God. I think that's, that's just a misuse, um, that, that God is always leading us towards new life, love, this, this embrace of a future relationship with us, with God, that does not end, that will not end, is always what, what that judgment is leading us towards, right? Forgiveness, a, a renewal of our relationship with God is a, is a part of that judgment day that Chad mentioned. So when it's used here, be careful for that judgment day. You better, how are you going to talk to God when you're standing in front of, I don't think you're going to care when you're standing in front of God. Uh, I think it's going to be, I mean, who knows? But I just feel like 
uh, I don't feel like God's gonna be like, shame on you, Elaine. You know, like, I don't think he's gonna do that to you. I don't think that's how that moment is going to go. And so I think when we are told about this judgment day as if it is a thing we have to be afraid of, therefore it needs to change our behavior now, I think that is a misuse of that theology all around. Amen. Um, it's, it's why I, I pause when I, when, when we got to the part in this morning's gospel reading and, and Thomas was, was saying, eh, you guys are, I don't, I don't buy it, risen Christ. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it. And, he, and, the, and the, in the Greek, the, the language in this part of, this, of the gospel is, is, it's a bit much. I mean, Thomas is like, as soon as I'm able to shove my hand in the wound in his side, then I'll believe that Christ has been raised from the dead. So I pause there to ask the question at that moment, is Thomas living under some sort of threat of eternal damnation? If, 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 if the two guys knocked on his door at that moment and said, are you sure that when you die at the judgment, you are going to be welcomed into eternity? And I wanted to say, I think the gospel lays it out for us time and time again, but certainly even in this morning's Easter gospel, that it, Thomas has the same status in the heart of God at that moment when he's demanding to see and, and shove his hand in the wounds of Christ and doubting his friends who are proclaiming to him that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, is the same guy who a little bit later says, my Lord and my God, the strongest Christological uh, proclamation in all of the scripture. It's the same guy. God loved and claimed and Christ was uh, the savior of doubting Thomas when he wasn't buying it and proclaiming faithful Thomas when he was saying, my Lord and my God. Uh, one didn't save him and the other didn't condemn him. We are saved, judged, worthy, uh, redeemed because of the action of Christ, not our ability to appropriate that through right belief or understanding. If, if it ever is that, then we are all on thin ice, <laughs> all right? But we're not. Uh, it's, it's, it can't be good news if it's a threat. Just always let yourself, when you're hearing anything and you're wondering, mm -hmm. uh, you, are, you are bearers of good news, the gospel, and, and it can't be good news if it's a threat. So we have brought our questions forward. This is one of the Sundays we always know we're going to do Ask the Pastors because we want to honor Thomas's questioning. We don't want to make it a moral thing like questioning is bad, doubt is bad. It is not. It is part and parcel of being a person of faith. We have questions. We have doubts. And I want you to notice there's one part in today's gospel where Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? And then the language in the original Greek goes big. It's not individual, it's communal. He says this to us because he is talking to us at this moment. Blessed are you who have not seen. We didn't get what Thomas got. We didn't get to touch the physical resurrected Jesus. We did not get what Thomas got. And Jesus says, when you believe, even when you are struggling, even when your world is falling apart, even when you have question on question on question on question, even when you're not sure exactly what it is you believe, even when you come to church and say, God, I don't know if I buy it today. This blessing is for you. Blessed are you 
who have not seen and yet have still believed. That blessing is for you. You are still loved. Your questions are welcome and honored and, and, and really given a high place of value in this place. Your questions are good and you are loved and you have been fed and now we are sent as good, good news people out in the world. We are sent to love and serve the Lord.